right, KISS Army. Welcome to the KISS FAQ Podcast. Thank you for giving us your time today and letting us into your head. I hope we don't do any damage. We hope that you enjoy. 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 Welcome to episode 383 of the KISS FAQ Podcast. I'm your host, Julian Gill. Today, I'm joined by a very special guest, Christopher Boyars, from Sweden, who has recently released a tribute album to music from the elder and this is ancient door a project which has been released exactly at the right time celebrating the 40th anniversary of that fantastic album while i'm regurgitating interviews and whatnot from the novelder book uh, and odyssey book uh, this is something new something fresh so christopher welcome to the show thank you thank you for having me on the show So let's get into the background of you as a KISS fan, first of all, before we talk about taking on performing a tribute to um, what is a very divisive album in KISS fan circles. When did you become a fan? And uh, tell us about your first interactions with music from the Elder as well. Uh, My first uh, piece of music that I got from KISS was uh, a cassette copy from a friend uh, of Lick It Up album when that was released, so in 83. And I loved it from the, from the get-go. It was a fantastic experience hearing that. I, I, I loved every minute of it. So I became an instant fan of the band. You know, all Christmas, uh, the list was full of Kiss stuff, you know, give me albums, I want them. So uh, it was all Kiss from that. My first interaction with The Elder was back in 85, when I went to, on a school trip to Oslo in Norway, and uh, I got a copy of it. So um, 85 was my first meeting with that um, fantastic piece of music. So you became a fan with Lick It Up. It must have been a little bit of a shock to the system when you first heard music from The Elder, with it being you know, quite vastly different stylistically to the rest yeah. of the catalog. What was your reaction to hearing it for the first time? A bit baffled I was, I think. You know, of course, they had uh, Oath as the first track. So um, you still had the, the heavy guitars. My first impression was, oh, cool, heavy guitars. But then, of course, the falsetto vocals in the chorus was a bit, wow, what, what's this? And of course, when going into fanfare and the massive uh, choir on Under the Rose, I, I think I was, it was interesting. I liked it, but I, I really couldn't, wow, is this really a, a normal Kiss album? But at the same time, I didn't know anything about the project, so I thought, Maybe there's a, a movie out there, and this is the soundtrack, which would be, you know, that blew my mind. So you, this is way before internet and everything, and be, being brought up in a small one-horse town in Sweden, you know, 5,000 people, you didn't know anything about KISS or what they've done or what they were up to or anything. So, you know, for me, it was just mind-blowing. Right. So on on this tribute to music from the elder you play the majority of the instruments on the album and you've got a, a partner jolene Fredriksson, who contributes percussion bass backing vocals and some guitars um what was it about meeting jolene that kind of provided the catalyst to recording this uh this project because i've been watching your your videos your behind the scene videos and you said that musically it wasn't really 
until you met Jolene that this became possible. So tell us about the genesis, how this project started and how it um, started the on the road to becoming reality. Well, we have to go way back because, I mean, when I first got my first guitar, which was, I think, in 80, 85, somewhere around that, I, I got the... I got the, the sheet music for uh, Alive 2, so I learned a couple of songs, you know, the chords for Calling Dr. Love and I Want You and, and other songs. But the first song that I actually learned and played with my friends was Escape from the Island. So it was the first real guitar riff that I actually learned and we played that, you know, we beat the hell out of that song, I have to say. <laughs> Not the best version. Uh, out there, I have to admit, but um, no, but it's fun to play, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's a cool song, you know, and and so so I played that, and and then uh, a couple of years later, when I went to to high school, music high school, studying music, I actually wanted to, because we had a studio on campus, and I really wanted to record something. I thought about recording a couple of the songs, and maybe I should, you know, record a couple of the songs. But I really didn't know how to work the studio, and I didn't have enough friends who were interested in the project. So we kind of, uh, it didn't happen then. And then uh, it's, the idea has been with me for years and years, and, and I worked in studios, and, and I've had friends, and I've toyed with the idea. But it wasn't until I met Jolene that actually, because she plays a lot of instruments, I try to play a lot of instruments. Between us, we could actually record this. I realized, and she's a, a fantastic musician and a great uh, producer and a technician too in the studio. So um, we had other musical projects first, you know, live projects. But then, then I said, my my dream project is is the elder, and and she said, cool, do it. And I said, I want you to be part of it, sure. And then, and then she, we had a, it was a, a bit of a, an uphill struggle, you know, for, for a couple of years. Uh, she has a bad back, so she couldn't play drums for a while. So our initial thought was doing it for the 35 year uh, anniversary, not the 40th. But um, we were set back a few times, but then we, we aimed for the 40th anniversary, so. I'm happy to be here now. Yeah, we're happy for you to be here now as well. I, I must say one of the things that struck me watching those behind the scene videos was the passion uh, that's yeah. evident with both of you, you know, whether it was uh, she giving us a treat of working with the percussive elements and the drums, um, you know, when they were being recorded or you talking about the vocals or the guitars or, or those elements. So I, I find those videos to be very valuable supporting elements that let us meet the characters, um, you know, behind this. When you started and committed to this project, what was your goal? for it was it just to do a re-record the elder your way or were there some did you have a mission that you want to to accomplish with doing so well it's, i think it started with me just wanting to get into the music of the album um knowing every chord and every you know everything about the music i wanted to know every bit of it so i wanted to learn every song uh, and I, I didn't really see any point in trying to get together a live band and performing it just once or twice because 
let's face it, there's not a, a huge audience for live performances of the elder out there, I guess. And so for me, it was pretty natural thinking, okay, I want to do something in the studio with this. Uh, and I want to learn the songs the way they were written and performed by KISS. But there's no point in releasing just a carbon copy of, of that album because it's perfect the way it is to me. So I think first I learned the album the way it was written. And then I thought of, I kind of looked at it as, imagine that the original is are the demos from KISS. And I got, you know, here are the demos. Do what you want with them. Uh, toy around with them. So that, that was kind of my approach to the whole project, to pay respect to, to the original, but at the same time, bring something, a little something new to every each and every track. Yeah, and that you certainly do. And we'll, we'll talk about some of the elements that jumped out at me when listening to it. But you're a trained musician. Did you, uh, did you get a hold of the, the sheet music for the album? And how did you uh, kind of reverse engineer what is some very complex sounds, instruments, and of course, Bob Ezrin's production? Uh, by ear, actually. I do have the, the Japanese uh, sheet music book from 94, I think it is. But uh, it's it's not that great to be honest. Kind of like not as bad as the 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 lyric sheet for the Japanese <laughs> edition, <laughs> no. about horses and whatnot. Um, no, I um, I learned the album by ear actually, and as you say, reversed engineered it, uh, trying to figure out how the I mean little bits like the reverse reverb going into the vocals of only you and stuff like that you have to figure it out but i've i've been working in studios for almost 30 years now and the same with jolene so we knew we, we know a few tricks hopefully so but it, it wasn't you know, uh, we loved every minute of it it's so fun sitting down with the track and trying to figure out how what kind of magic tricks bob used to to bring out the magic of the song so loved it. That was one of the parts of Tim's interviews with the various engineers and studio personnel talking about some of the little tricks that they would use, like phasing and mics and all of these selections, which in an analog world of 1981 are vastly different to perhaps how we record nowadays. But just those kind of the technical details that he was able to ask them, I, I always found fascinating. But also to hear you now talk about, you know, going back and doing it by ear, I, I just find stunning. How do you reverse engineer a crumhorn, you know, or some obscure <laughs> medieval instruments? I, I mean, because it seems that you have a, a lot of different instruments being played. Are they all real instruments or did you go to keyboards and um, some of the more, uh, I guess, modern approach to doing those elements? Well, we're working, uh, currently working as, as writers uh, and producers of, of music for TV and stuff like that. So we work a lot uh, with sample libraries, with orchestral sample libraries in our everyday work. So that's one of the things that made this, I think the timing was right now, not five years ago, because we have so much, we learned so much about orchestral uh, instrumentation and everything the last four or five years. So it was perfect for us now to work with, you know, because with modern equipment, you 
they're all actually instruments, but you play them with the keyboard. Of course, I, I haven't, I don't have the budget to hire a hundred plus <laughs> classical. Um, Hello, players. I need, a, I need a harp for eight hours. Yeah, exactly. So, so, but, but, it's, it's like a, a, a song like Odyssey, which is quite complex with a lot of instruments. It's not like we played the whole section of of the strings like a keyboard chord no we played each instrument by itself here's the violin harmony here's the viola harmony here's the cello harmony so there's a lot of channels on a track like that close to 100 i think on that one so there's a lot of job a lot of work behind it and getting that balance right as well. I mean, getting the instrumentation is one thing, but balancing it so it makes sense. What I do find is that the sound of, you've mentioned Odyssey, very organic. It sounds beautiful. It's absolutely gorgeous. Uh, the balance between all of those elements, they sing mm -hmm. out at the right time individually. So you're hearing those uh, voices, but um, it, it's just absolutely spectacular. And again, I'll, I'll tell people, watch those behind the scenes videos that uh, Christopher has put together because when you see the amount of tracks and how all those elements come together, it gives you a new appreciation of the creative process. So how did you approach recording this? Did you go in order? And if not, which was the first song that you recorded? The first song, we didn't go in order. Uh, the first song we recorded was Just a Boy. And I think it's a key track to the album. So, so um, I have my favorite tracks, you know, and and some I wanted to save for later, like Only You. I think it's another key track of the album, probably the most diverse track. It goes from just a few guitars and vocals, very soft, to you know, a, a pretty rough song, you know. So, and and also Odyssey. So I saved them for later, but I thought that Just the Boy was a good start. It's a key song for the album, and uh, so we pretty much had like 95% of that recorded, finished in, I think, 2016. So I had some rough mix of it, and then a very scaled down video made of it uh, as early as, I think, Christmas 2016. Wow. Um, so, so that was the first track. And then we did bits and pieces, and then... Uh, Jolene had back problems, so we had to take a break for a year or something like that. And when, of course, you learn new stuff, and I went back, on, like a song, uh, a song like um, "A World Without Heroes." We actually recorded about eighty-five percent of that song in two thousand sixteen too. Then I went back uh, to two thousand twenty and reviewed it and said, "No, no, this is not where where I want to go." Now let's redo it. So we redid almost everything on it. Um, well, you've mentioned one of the standouts for me is Just a Boy, um, and and that's absolutely gorgeous. I I love Paul's performance on the original. I love everything that Bob Ezrin did. But you've brought something new to that. I think the counterbalance of Jolene's classical guitar in there just makes it so much more dynamic and lets you appreciate it as a song more. But your electric solo. I was, I was actually, I had a picture in my head of David Gilmore playing that solo. Um, wow. 
just uh-huh. just the the phrasing for me and my ear and my brain was that that remains the mystery guitarist for me on this album. I don't know who did that solo for certain. If that's Paul Stanley, that's incredible. If it's someone else, and there's still a question of whether that is a ghost performer on the Kiss version, um, it's it's one of those things still to be discovered. But your take on this was absolutely amazing. How okay. did you approach a solo like that? Uh, you know, what was what was the balance between playing what was performed and also taking that artistic liberty that naturally comes from performing it? Well, I, th- I think that the solos, um, I had the same approach as the songs. I think the solos are probably the best guitar playing of all Kiss records when it comes to solos. On the, this album, you have a lot of fantastic solos. Um, Just the Boy, Under the Rose is my favorite. Um, Odyssey, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful solos. So you don't want to stray too far from the original. Uh, at the same time, you need to bring something new. Un- kind of a new element to everything, I think. Well, otherwise you just, you're doing a, a, a pale copy of the original. I don't want to do that. Um, I think my approach and uh, the fact that you mentioned Gilmore, I think somewhere back in the back of my head, I was thinking, I wish, I wish David Gilmore could play this solo because that would be the match made in heaven. So um, my approach was, I, I, I think, bringing as much, it's, it's not a technical solo, but you have to find the right amount of feel. There's a little, little bit of feedback um, on the guitar, which gives it an extra, you know, sustain uh, to, the, to some of the longer notes, which I love, which is accident, an accident, but I liked it, so I kept it. Um, but, but it's hard to play those solos uh, because I love them so much. And it's, it's really hard to to approach it without you have a lot i have a lot of respect for the for, for the original ones so it's tough but i i hope i got it halfway right at least i i think the respect for the art comes across in what you've done with it that where the artistic um your individuality comes into the performance you still v- stay very true to it so you're it's got your fingerprint on this album but it's not smudging kisses original no. um and and again just to finish up on the david gilmore point I, I think that's the one where now i'm thinking that's a direct link to the wall and and ezrin's previous work because david was very much doing that type of performance um on some of his strongest guitar work on the wall yeah. um i agree We've talked about the classical guitars. You also use mandolins. But what were some of the guitars that you use, say, on a track or on that solo in particular? What What are your tools that you um, like playing the most for this album? You mean the brands? Well, yeah. What, what sorts of – are you playing Strats, Tellys, you know, Les Pauls, um, the Yamaha? S- uh, the, I'm, I'm not sure if the classic guitar is Yamaha or if it's uh, it's Jolene's guitars. I don't. I really don't know. She she does an amazing job on that one. Uh, but the guitar solo on Just the Boy is a a Swiss uh, Strat uh, called Blade, kind of a high end uh, brand uh, by Gary Levinson. A fantastic guitar. Looks like a Strat. 
has a few extra um, things on it, but but it, it basically a strat. So I think I play that one. I'm not sure, but I'm, I think it's that one that played. I played a solo on, and also the rhythm guitars. Um, I use I use a lot of guitars actually on the album. Um, Telecasters. I have a, a, a hand-built Telecaster. I don't know if I can show it here. Made by a guy here in my hometown. Beautiful piece of instrument. Um, also, of course, I had to have my Paul Stanley guitar. <laughs> of course. In there. So I think. The Paul Stanley guitar, the Ibanez is on uh, the Oath and I, oh, yeah, which to. are the two tracks that are tuned down half a key, which they normally do on every song uh, with Kiss. That that's one thing that's also special with this album that they they have the normal tuning standard with E instead of E flat on a lot of songs. So I use a lot of guitars. Oh, uh, one significant difference uh, in, in one solo is Under the Rose, where I use a, a Gem Ibanez, the Steve I version. Okay, that, that totally answers that question, yeah. which is coming later. Yeah, because the whammy bar. Oh, I, th there was something in the tone that I was like, yeah. that's a gem. I, I, I just saw Vi in my head again. Yeah. You know, with some of the guitar sounds, you're like, you, you get the flavor of where they're coming from. That's why I asked about the specifics of guitars. I don't speak the language that well. I, I play in standard or drop and that's it. And I'm not trained and I'm garbage, but I do it for fun and entertainment. But it's always nice for you to hold up the guitars and say, and explain some of, you know, the why you use a different tool for a different song, yeah. uh, because it's an important part of the story to me, because uh, again, it's the music. Yeah. Um, and the te Telecaster has a that, that's a, has a kind of nice backstory that I read that uh, Ace Frehley actually used that on a lot of the early recordings with Kiss, which normally isn't a guitar that you you, you never think of Kiss and Telecasters together, but it, it has a good very good you know bite to it, so the the string is very obvious and in you know when you hit hit a note you know it's, it's a good attack to it so that's why i wanted to use it so i used the telecaster for example on the intro guitars of only you which needs that choppy edgy sound so guitars matter a lot what kind of guitar you use for what what song you have you know so um, i used a lot i have some les paul i think i played a solo on uh, odyssey with a les paul Right. So a lot of different guitars. So I'm going way out of order of my notes. So I want to go back <laughs> to the beginning and um, your transformation of fanfare. Fanfare, of course, is an oral montage that kind of sets the tone. But you've made it grand and cinematic. Um, yeah. It it's now sounds way more like the character of Destroyer's opening sound montage which is again very cinematic as well rather than muted and subdued and mysterious on the bob ezrin production so you kind of changed the mood slightly with how you you've approached it with its clarity um 
was that an enhancement that just came to mind when you started working on it? Did that just happen naturally? Or did you have a vision that that intro needed to be bigger and you had a, a different vision for how that would sound? Well, I wanted the, the entire album to be a little bit more cinematic in, in its style. So my vision of um, Fanfare was, the approach was uh, like a movie trailer for the movie that was never made. But I can't take credit for that because that's all Jolene. I basically told her, this is, this is the original. Uh, make it a movie trailer because she's the movie trailer person of the two of us you know she she works with that every week you know writing movie trailers so so she did, did an amazing job with it i basically basically told her this is my vision i would love something like that and she said well it doesn't really lend itself to a classical movie trailer but i'll give it a go and i loved it and as you say i i really think that it set the tone for the rest of the album and i wanted it to be more cinematic so i also brought a, a little more orchestral uh, flavor to songs like uh, only you and uh, the oath also has some horns and stuff like that very very discreet but just to keep you know keep it in the same universe musically so right. yeah there's, there's a, a thought very, behind it it's a very broad universe and i think that that perspective, getting a bit of echo, um, that perspective that Jolene puts in making it cinematic really changes it, transforms it. So I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated to hear that backstory of her her approach to it, because that really comes across. It, it, it's great to hear a translation of a piece of music into something completely different. The embellishment that you brought to different songs, um, you know, is particularly noted by the orchestration. And you've already mentioned the amount of tracks that go into, um, you know, doing Odyssey, you know, nearly 100, 100 tracks overall. But it must have been an Odyssey just charting that. Did you chart out that orchestra, you know, from uh, knowing how many pieces Bob originally used for that? Uh, I, I actually sat down with the original to try to, to find every little piece of music that's in there, you know trying to reverse engineer uh, the, the entire arrangement. So I did a, a MIDI arrangement with MIDI instruments, a fake orchestra, every single note that I could actually find <laughs> on it. And I took that and I kind of, you know, morphed it into something. So I, I changed a few notes here and that because I wanted to, to implement the da, 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 set forth musical language but sure that's that's the theme of the album so that's in in the outro of uh, odyssey we get a lot more of that so it ties it together because i moved odyssey to at the back of the album later in the story so i want to go back to that theme so you have fanfare in the beginning and you have uh, an odyssey as the second last song with still using that theme in it so little bits and pieces that you glue together to make it like a more comprehensive story musically and also a story with a beginning and a end because those dynamic themes 
echo yeah. beginning and end. So yeah. no, very good use of that. But you also use some very, actually just a, a quick side story on the orchestra. I am still trying to reverse engineer the orchestra list because I've got a list of everyone who played on the in the orchestra in 1981. And it's massive. Wow. The problem with these players is they all play multiple disciplines. So you, you've got wind and brass mixed in together and figuring out which one did what on that particular occasion is a nightmare. So I, I never did get that completed, but uh, a lot of people played. So no wonder you did 100 tracks. Um, <laughs> but you also have some modern taste in here and you're riffing in Under the Rose um, jumps out at me. Again, That that's a very kind of modern style. Um, how does the song tell you where it's going in terms of what it wants from you as the performer? Oh, that's that's a tough one. That's a tough question. Uh, what what I really didn't want to the road I really didn't want to go down is to kind of date the album by making it too modern or too too much 2021. You know, so uh, I don't want to be contemporary and I, and I don't want to be you know too old you know being like the original more vintage in style so I try to mix it up um, the riffing I I think it just came from me noodling around with the track playing guitar to the tr to the basic track finding I, th I think the song that was hard the two songs that were hardest to do something with and for different reasons, were I, which I think pretty much is a, it, it's a rock song. There's not much you can add to that. And it's a fairly long song as it is, so that I couldn't really, you know, change it around too much. But the, the hardest song to, for me was Under the Rose because I loved the original so much there. I wouldn't want to change anything really on it. But a little riffing, I put a little riffing in there. Um, of course, I changed not changed but i i played the, the solo with a bit of different approach with the whammy bars and, and um but i think it came fairly natural just noodling around on guitar finding bits and pieces that i thought mm, this you know i threw a lot away to you know you, you try ideas and say oh, oh, i'm not gonna get away with that delete <laughs> we'll not talk about that effort again no does it give you a new appreciation of some of the players as musicians paul stanley obviously ace frehley um eric carr alan schwartzberg who came in to do some of the drumming as well and then of course bob's on it on bass and areas and and then some of the others as well um were there any of these performances as such that when you came to make your own version of them that you're like, wow, Eric did that in 1981 or Paul did that, you know, that really then jumped out of you and gave you a new appreciation? Yeah, I think overall it's they're doing the best job in, in many ways. Uh, I love what Paul's, Paul's been doing, uh, playing the soul on a world without heroes. I think and he had a, a taste already at, at his 78 solo album with uh, Homey Touch Me. He did a, a nice solo on that one. And he brought a lot of that kind of texture and, and melodies into the solo of A World Without Heroes. Um, Ace riffing is always cool. 
and and it's really hard uh, trying to make something anything out of uh, such a cool song it has such swagger a song like uh, dark light it, it's really really hard you know because you he has a, a cool sloppiness to the way he plays the riff you know and and it's really hard to recreate that I, if I play play it like him it will only sound sloppy but he yep. does it in a cool you know swaggery way so I had to be a bit more you know choppy with it and, and more trying to be more precise with it uh, but I have the utmost respect for all, all of them I think the, the everything from the songwriting to the performance impresses me and I think I wish that people could understand how different this album is and how much harder it is to write songs like Just a Boy than Strutter. And I love Strutter, but from a, from a, a composer's point of view, they're fairly complex, the songs on The Elder. Yeah, they're, they're complex in terms of composition, in terms of everything that then Bob brings in into the song crafting, because Bob remains a genius and and no matter what was a, a massive part of the crafting of the arrangements of those songs but the performance uh, I, I mean paul stanley is no slouch as a guitarist uh, and you, you you rightfully point out some of his beautiful lead work he knows exactly what to play in the right case and you also are, are absolutely right about ace how do, how do you replicate swagger without it sounding calculated or forced because swagger yeah. is natural x factor like gravity you know yeah. you, you, you just can't wrap your yourself around that so mm. um the vocals were always one area that i am particularly impressed by what paul stanley did and the bravery it's why yeah. he'll always be my most valuable player of this album with his bravery of going falsetto and singing in operatic or cinematic styles for the material how did you approach those vocals because that's got to be a massive challenge for anyone yeah well this is the only like i said in the behind the scenes um, um clips uh, it's actually the only album where I can reach all the notes that he sings Paul's because he has a high, you know, high tenor voice normally and he sings really, really high pitched notes on every album. But on this album, he actually, the highest notes he takes in falsetto, so I can reach them, which, thanks, <laughs> that's good for me. <laughs> it's, it's impossible to recreate for me an album like uh, Revenge or, or, you know, or the 80s it's just ridiculous on songs like uh, turn on the night you know it's they're so high pitched so you, you no way i could sing anything like that but as you say i, I think he, he was very brave i know it was he was kind of you know insecure with some of his performances and i, I think he should, he should be proud of them going into that uh, it, it's it's tough uh doing it uh I think I have the utmost respect for everything that he did, and I, I know I could never be a Paul Stanley vocal vice, uh, but but this is my version, and I, I have to do it with my voice, but also pay a little tribute to the original. So it's a fine line. Um, I have no good answer, really. I, I think uh, Odyssey is probably where I took a little bit more liberty being myself more than actually being the way singing it the way that Paul did because Paul did it like 
he almost like he knew that someday I'll be singing Phantom of the Opera, <laughs> you know, and I think he does it so good. But I could never do I could never do a, a good version of Paul doing the opera version, you know, that would be yeah, like operatic. Third generation. Operatic. Yeah. Operat yeah. Yeah, he calls his performance on Odyssey tragic. I am offended by that because I think he does a fantastic, absolutely yeah. fantastic job of singing that. And again, it comes back to the bravery uh, at the time of, you know, going that style. Here you are doing one style on Just a Boy. You have a couple of standard-ish rock songs. Well, The Oath mixes standard rock singing with some falsetto as well. Yeah. You know, so he, he's really measuring him against himself, against some very dynamic singers at the time. Freddie Mercury comes uh, automatically to mind in some of the styles yeah. that he was willing to tackle, especially the operatic um, yeah. style mixed with rock. Um, but here you are, you know, doing similar. So respect to you for taking on that challenge because it's not easy. I think that the hardest part is probably knowing how, how much you can change the song or, or implement your own style to it. Because you do, as, as I said, you, you, you want to respect the originals as much as possible and not stray away too much from that. On the other hand, there's no point in me trying to be, you know, a two cent Paul Stanley or a bad version of the original. So, but it, it, it's tough. It's tricky. I hope people accept what we've done. This is oh, don't, don't don't undersell yourself. Don't undersell yourself because again, this is a tribute to music from the elder. If people want to listen to the elder, it's been available for 40 years. Go listen to the elder first, and then line up. Um, ancient door a tribute to the elder and take them as separate but equal in in terms of the craft and the passion and the attention to detail that's gone into both so you're very much the equal in the creative element so don't undersell yourself i'm pretty sure i had a better time recording my version that than the guys had back <laughs> in <Asia. laughs> yeah I, I think that that goes without a doubt one of I my favorites know. Sorry, I, I, I have a little question for you, I, because one thing that I've always uh, been thinking about is that it's a well-known known fact that when Bob did Destroyer, he actually recorded the album with all the effects on it, reverbs and, and all that, that stuff. So when they did the remixes for Double Platinum, they couldn't really do much with it because everything, the echoes and everything was on the track. Do you know how, how we did it with the Elder? If you took the original reels, would it all be there? Would the reverse reverb on only you be there? I don't have an answer for that. I, I know they ran out of tracks and had to do bounce downs, and that's what resulted in that. And I don't know if the originals were retained or lost or discarded as part of that process. And I, I don't know either. That would be a great uh, question for Bob. But on the elder, I would think he would still be operating on a very similar kind of method. But technology in those five years had also advanced quite a lot um, as well. It'd be interesting to hear, you know, if someone say has the multi tracks. Uh, the original two-inch tapes for, um, say, Mr. Blackwell, 
which I know are out there. Um, it, it, oh, it'd be, wow. be fascinating to know what are on those individual tracks. Yeah. So um, again, that's a great question. And again, we are never going to be done learning more about the music of Kiss and Kiss's history and whether it's their calendars and what they were doing from day to day or photographs or the music and the recording. There is always going to be more to discover or someone who pops up and says, oh, you know, look at here. here here's a two inch tape for Odyssey with Gene's vocal. So. I, I think that's that's a great way. You don't have to do that now with digital. No. You want another track? You need another track? Uh, track. You know, where do you want to, you know? You, you just don't the have The limits those. is a thousand, I just learned. Never used a thousand, but I know the limits. For just the, imagine for the if version. the Beatles had a thousand tracks or George Martin had a thousand tracks available to We him. would probably only get one album because it would never be done. There will yeah. always be something more to add to a song, you know. Just adding another layer until so much is buried underneath, you know, it, it, it now becomes a matter of self-restraint and limiting the use of those tracks to where they have to be. But great question of your own about Bob Ezrin. Um, and, and again, th this is all what makes him um, just absolutely brilliant in, in yeah. And a, a lot of the producers as well of the age who, who did amazing things with limited technology. Um, one of my favorite of your behind the scenes videos is part four. And that's where the drumming and percussion of dark light is discussed. Um, you know, first of all, great job on that. Were all the drums and percussion on this album real? Or did you go electronic on that? I, it, when you see timpani, when you see Jolene behind the kit, it, it kinds to kind of points to that organic drum. But uh, did you have to do well, any? It's a, it's, a, it's a mix of everything. Uh, because of our bad back, we had to to re-trigger, as you say, some some of the stuff that uh, she recorded. So she played on the on the songs. But if I wanted to redo, say, a, a small bit of of um, Mr. Blackwell, and, and uh, then then I could use a, a, an earlier part or another different take and just cut that out and move it to where I need to have it. And then I re-triggered like, or she re-triggered, so you can have a totally different um, snare sound or a different kick. So so it's a mixture. We live in that era now where um, I, I don't think that anything's 100% acoustically um, on acoustic on the uh, album uh, no i don't think so probably um, just the voice pretty acoustic but i think we re-triggered the snare so we had a dub of two sounds of snares mixed together so it's a bit of of, of everything uh, when it comes to the timpani and uh, all the percussion that's live because she, at the time, because they were recorded back in 2016. At the time, she was uh, teaching at the music high school as a percussion and uh, uh, drum and recording engineer teacher at the music high school here in Karlstad, Sweden. So, so we had all these instruments at her at her job. So we went there one day and recorded, you know, timpanis and shakers and gongs and all that. So. You see some of them in the behind the scenes video. The, I think the gongs in there somewhere and the big drums for for I and and, and the, the timpani. And so the, that that's all uh, Jolene. Yeah. Uh, ab absolutely amazing. Um, 
I haven't touched on a couple of songs. I, I have some notes on. I, I did pick out some notes. I mean, I was only able to say one word about a world without heroes. Absolutely gorgeous. That's two words. I've added the absolutely just now. Um, Dark Light. Again, I, I just talked about that briefly, but this one screams fun. What was it as fun to create that as it sounds on your album? Yeah, they were all fun. Um, yeah, it was. As I said, I, I, I struggled a bit in the beginning on, on how to approach the guitar playing. I wanted the swagger that Ace always brings to his songs and his riffs, but I couldn't really reproduce that. So I had to do, to do it in my own way, trying to keep all that's good from the original on that one. Um, also, we did toy it around like the first bridge or musical bridge after the first chorus. We have new some new elements where, where we play a version of the riff on multiple single string guitars, kind of like I would say Brian May would have done it maybe. You know, we play with harmonies on I think six guitars added, and then underneath that putting power chords. So kind of a new approach to that. And also the song has a new ending because I wanted to end the song in on a D instead of the, the just fading out on the, on the G um, riff. So I changed the ending so it could end on a D because it naturally uh, glides over to the orchestral intro in D minor, uh, going over to E minor and Adding, uh, going into a world without heroes, so there was a bit of a bit of planning to to make the tracks go together and 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 then fit together like a story, and musically also be in the right key when you had to do the progression to the next song. So. See, that's a fascinating technical detail that defines the roadmap that you're following. The music is clearly, and what you're hearing in the music is what's taking you in a direction of, you know, adjusting things where you need to for your interpretation to make the transition seamless. And again, I, I think, you know, I've had five listens of the album so far, and that's not enough to even halfway start digging into appreciating it fully. Only you, the bass. I love the bass that you've recorded on there um, and yeah. the effects on the vocals. You know, that, that's an, an, another one of the, the ones that jump out at me. Um, yeah. Mr. Blackwell, Let, let's talk about Mr. Blackwell uh, on its own because again, that's got all these different dynamic elements, mood, attitude, um, kind of fear, danger. How, Once again, you... I wanted to tie it in with uh, Bob's work on Destroyer and I always thought that uh, Mr. Blackwell, the song is kind of a sibling to uh, God of Thunder. Same notes. So I I, um, I added some weird background noises, kids screaming, infants in this case, uh, just to get kind of a God of Thunderish feel to it. We also simplified a bit of the hi hat playing on on, on the drums and and uh, tried to boost the riff. Uh, in the last verse by uh, overdubbing the bass, basic rhythm with big guitars. So yeah, a lot of work into that too, but uh, I think probably of the songs on the album, I, I like what we did 
the, the change on that song is what I like most. I think that was the best change of song that we did on the album, if you know what I mean. Um, well, you did some backwards guitar as well, didn't you? For yeah. that, in, in order to set the atmosphere or help yeah. uh, set it. So, a, a, again, uh, just all in all, uh, again, I, I can't strongly recommend this enough because it's just so refreshing <laughs> as we celebrate the 40th anniversary. Who are some of the other people that helped you out with this project? Because you, you do have some other folk who've, um, you know, number one, glorious artwork, by the way. Yeah, and uh, packaging. It's a German uh, artist that I found, and um, what we we basically did ninety nine percent of the stuff ourselves. Uh, we thank a, a few people. My father, he's the hand on the on the back of the cover, holding the door. That's oh, my father. There it is. You, you can yeah. just, there you go. It's actually from the church of my hometown. We we took that picture. Uh, and uh, also, there's a, a name there uh, that I want to mention, and that's um, Per Forsberg, uh, which has a kiss tying tie-in, which is pretty fun. Uh, he plays tuba for the Melbourne Melbourne Symphony Orchestra, and he's from the same town as me, we're childhood friends. Uh, so he played on the uh, symphony kiss symphony sessions. Hey. Oh wow! Yeah. So uh, he's a Swedish guy that actually played with Kiss, <laughs> which is pretty cool. So I asked him uh, if he wanted to be a part of this album. I said, sure. And one day, suddenly, I got some files uh, with him and some friends from the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra toying and playing fanfare. <laughs> they recorded because they recorded something totally different. And I said, we have 15 minutes. Well, can't we? Uh, can't we record this with my friend in Sweden? So they recorded it. Now we went with the other approach of that song with fanfare with the with the trailer approach. So we didn't use it, but I think it was a it was very very sweet of him to do that and appreciate it. And it's cool because he played with Kiss. So I would love have loved to have him on the album. Unfortunately, there was no room this time, but maybe next time when we do the 50 year anniversary version. Bonus track. <laughs> but yeah <laughs> no I, I mean what better thing than to someone who's got obviously the only time kiss performed live with a, a symphony was with the melbourne so symphony orchestra for kiss symphony in 2003 that's absolutely amazing i mean right now it's physical only do you have any plans for digital or even to take that massive step into vinyl land i i, I looked into vinyl land and and the, the way i think it has to do with the raw material of pressing vinyl now there is there's a shortage of apparently i don't know they told me that the fastest they could do a vinyl record was 28 weeks and i didn't want to make a 41 year anniversary record so i had to go with cd but the idea was there from the start to do a limited number of, of vinyl albums but um couldn't do that this year so and and someday we'll put it out on on streaming platforms but for now i think it's kind of cool that it's an actual album i'm, a, I'm an old timer I, I, I want to make albums. hold it you get to open it you get to you know <laughs> there's something still special about physical yeah. product versus streaming 
yeah definitely so not least not least the sound quality is yeah as it should be rather than streaming quality even though there is very close to, to perfect um where can people find you for more information about the album and where to obtain it? Uh, you're on Facebook, aren't you? I'll now provide. Yeah, we're on details. Facebook. If you uh, visit our page, uh, Ancient Door Project, yeah, you can order and you can watch all those clips that you talked about behind the scenes. We're also working on a, a video right now, which hopefully will be done in sometime next week, I hope. So we'll release that. Uh, if you're not on Facebook, because uh, we don't have a web page for this actually, because we never thought that it would come to this. We thought, okay, I'll, I'll record this. I want an album for myself. I never thought that anyone else in the world would ever care about this. So <laughs> we're kind of dumbstruck with that. So, but you can write to us at chris at fullnoteproductions.com. Send us an email and we'll help you if you want a copy of the album. But uh, I, Facebook I, is the, our primary point of where, where you can find most of the things that we do, yeah. Yeah, and again, the Facebook site can't be uh, mentioned not enough because, uh, again, all those background videos about the project, I think, give uh, people a very good taste of um, the detail and the attention that went into making and creating and crafting this incredible tribute. My final question, Christopher is um, did creating and recording this tribute give you a new respect or love for the elder? Has it changed any of your perceptions that you had before or has it just simply reinforced why you like that album? I think a little bit both. I think I, I knew it was a, a fantastic album. I knew that it was special and, and the songwriting was excellent and, and advanced, but, but uh, Going into it, like like you mentioned earlier, the, realizing how good the, the craftsmanship and the playing on that album is, and, uh, and how well it's, it's arranged, ha has given me all the respect in the world for for Bob and, and the band. I think uh, the album for me, I I just I love the album even more. I didn't think that was possible. I probably listened to the album 200 times a year, but now I listen to it 400 times a year almost, I guess. Uh, I love it. And I, I just want to point out that I love the original, and this is a tribute to the original. If, if our version can help a few new souls discover what a great album this is, I hope they go and buy 200 copies of the original, which maybe we could get it up to platinum one day if paul and gene ever would consider you know it, it would be nice yeah. just to have it gold and have that gap filled in their catalog yeah. you know for for a sequential it probably is gold isn't it it should I, be gold I, it seems to forever have teetered on the brink of being that but i've never seen enough sales figure to really uh, tell me if it actually is but mm. uh who knows um and i'm going to give the the final space of this uh episode to you where else have you been interviewed because i'm sure they've handled you know talking to you differently you know where else can people watch to find out even more about this project i, I think you you were on Cameron's uh, podcast yeah. as well. Where, where else have you been reached so far so that people can also check out those shows? Well, we have done, we, I've talked to Cameron uh, and, and uh, a live unplugged sessions, I think you called. Uh, and also 
but that's in Swedish, which I guess all your all your viewers are not fluent in Swedish. But uh, all those clips, we'll we put them on our Facebook page. I think that's the easiest way. Go into our Facebook page, and and you can see all the all our videos and all our podcasts that we've done. Um, I think that's the easiest way. Okay. Well, that is it. I, I do appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today. Uh, this is another illustration of why the Scandinavian KISS Army are some of the best fans in the world with the passion and dedication that seems to originate from your part of the world. I look at our podcast stats. Scandinavia is always number one or number two uh, in terms of viewers and support. And then you see some of the really cool projects that come out of that area, uh, uh, some of the fan passion of things that are being shared. Uh, we're very grateful for you and the people from your area who are giving us so much as fans to enjoy or at least to think about again to reevaluate what we've thought in the past so christopher thank you very much for joining me today and i wish you all the best with ancient door a tribute thank to music you. from the elder happy novelder everyone Thank you for spending time listening to the KISS FAQ podcast today. All sales are final. There are no refunds. If you'd like, look us up on Facebook or come over to the KISS FAQ message board and discuss the topic we've broadcast today. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes, Spreaker, or wherever you've listened to the show. We hope you'll join us again.